There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Luke, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! I know I don't know much about you. Racing through my head, all thoughts about you. Yeah. You know I never try to hurt you. You know. And I hate to see you go. Greetings, universe, galaxy, and Star Wars fans. This is Jordan Smith over here again with the Podchat Show. We are diving into The Empire Strikes Back, the second movie in Star Wars, but technically the fifth, if we're going by numbers that they had added with this movie. Um, I'm joined here by Roger. How's it going, Raj? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I know we're running a bit behind in terms of sequencing. We wanted to be up to date by the time The Last Jedi came out. But The Last Jedi is currently out, and oh boy, that movie was awesome. It's cleaning up at the box office. I haven't seen it yet. I thought I was going to, and uh, that got delayed. So we'll get to it. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that our takes will be plenty hot by the time that one comes out. It's great. I'm going to go see it again. Um, you know, there's still a, a good audience for, I mean, Star Wars is just always great to listen to, but I'm sure there will be a lot more people going over this upcoming holiday weekend to the movie anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if they just almost double their box office drop because of the holiday weekend. Like, they have a lot of time here. There's that. It also hasn't come out in China yet. I think it's coming out in Oof. in January in China, the second biggest well i don't know I, I guess number of people is the biggest market but they say it's the second largest movie going audience yeah that that'll be big adding on to that china's huge uh you see a lot of movies nowadays are actually just gearing up and marketing towards china if it's not so hot in america you see that with like transformers and movies of that nature i've actually also heard it's pronounced china but that oh, <laughs> could just be pop china. culture <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a little bit earlier uh, look at my take on the movie, if you have seen it, I will be finishing up our write-up on the Last Jedi for Medium.com slash Defined Print. Uh, that should be posted up there within the next day or so. I just got to clean that up a little bit. But we're here to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. Um, some would say this is probably the best uh 
iteration of Star Wars in the entire trilogy. I certainly agree with that concept. I always thought Empire was just great. It was always my favorite out of the first three, um, mostly because there's no Ewoks in this movie. There's no... Luke matures a little bit more, even though he's still a little bit whiny. Uh, there is my boy Lando Calrissian coming in hot. <laughs> well, hello there. Hello there. Um, but yeah, uh, initial takes. Let's just dive right in. Empire. Yeah, I agree. It's the best Star Wars film to date. Uh, I mean, watching this again, I haven't watched the um, the original trilogy as much. I think on a per episode basis as I've watched the prequel trilogy and I'm still struck by just how good this one feels to watch. Every scene just feels good. It's a very well balanced movie. Uh, you had mentioned Luke's whininess, which I mean, he really only appears in the three movies and doesn't really say anything in, uh, in that in episode seven. So I, I think his whininess is sort of built into the character. It's, a little bit tapered back um, in this one, and he's more of a badass, kind of a go-getter in this one. Uh, I, yeah, there's very little to dislike about this movie. Yeah, this one, what especially sticks out to me through the course of this movie are the different environments that we get here. It's a nice contrast getting the ice planet of Hoth and seeing how they have to deal with that going from the hot desert planet of Tatooine from the first film um, and then the just the Cloud City of Bespin. I mean, that looks like a cool. Yeah, it's clouds. Yeah, it's clouds, a swamp, and a frozen planet after a desert and a spaceship. So I mean, they're just going ham on the environments in these first two movies. And I feel like they wanted to make the sets significantly different in this movie just to show the diversity of the galaxy. Yeah, definitely. And you get some different creatures in here, different uh, robots, the iconic AT-ATs that you see here. Um, that actually brings me to my first question. Do you call them the AT-ATs or the AT-ATs? Uh, I, go, I don't care. It's it's whatever you want to call it. If someone says AT-ATs, I'll know what you're talking about. If you say AT-ATs <laughs> and we're not talking about Star Wars, I'll look at you funny. But if you're bringing it up, we probably... Are, so it's fine okay well george lucas has stated i think through a a writer or something like that a spokesperson that it's actually pronounced at ats but i always call them atats because the two-legged ones are atsts i was about to say that like what are, like, what are those ats like yeah exactly it's like it there's got to be some sort of continuation there and that was just the way i always got it but the ATATs. I mean, that's a pretty cool scene in general um, because they are literally just trying to escape the Empire and the Empire tracks them down and they have to figure out a way to take these things down. And Luke's got his buddy behind him in the seat and the cruiser who feels like he could just take on the entire Empire by himself. Dude, I had so many issues with that line, but I mean, I think that comes back to our little incest conversation from earlier. Wait, what do you mean? I don't know. I mean, the way he says it makes it seem like he's on top of the world because he just kissed his sister. Oh, I didn't even put those two things together. Yeah. It just doesn't, I don't know. Super, <laughs> like, super I, weird. 
Yeah, I mean, the I like the emotion. I like that his heart's in it, but I don't know. Maybe his heart's not in the, in the most appropriate place. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, Luke. Maybe dial it back a little bit after the the smooch. Even if it's not your sister, you got to play it a little bit cool, man. You know, he was. I mean, right at the beginning, he had the hands behind the head. That's as cool as you can play it. That that was a smooth move. I felt like he was <laughs> imitating Han there for a second. Unbelievable. <laughs> Um, Han was laying it on thick this entire movie. I was I was very moved by Harrison Ford's uh, game. Yeah, he's he definitely amps it up and just he's going for it the entire movie. Um, I think that has partially to do with the fact that he was a he was pretty certain that he didn't want to come back for the third. Um, there's a lot of talk about Han wanting to have his car- or Harrison Ford, sorry, wanting to have Han killed off because he felt like his story was complete um and that's where they came up with this compromise to have han frozen in carbonite so if you know harrison ford has a change of heart which he clearly does because he's back for return of the jedi that they can you know just correct themselves and bring him back ultimately yeah for sure uh, i think the carbonite freezing probably was a harrison ford decision I, we could probably look this up during this i thought um Harrison Ford signed one movie contracts per signing, I guess. That's awkwardly worded. But I think he signed on for single movies at a time for all three of these. And I think just the way that they ended must have just been a way to hedge in case that Harrison Ford moved on to other things. Yeah, I saw that Leia, or Leia, geez. Carrie Fisher, who she pretty much is Leia, so that's why I got confused. And Mark Hamill had all signed three picture deals. And I th- Harrison Ford was definitely the only one out of that trio to not sign a, a three-picture deal. He was he's too big for that. And, I mean, he was the biggest star to come out of the series. So, Are you sure it wasn't whoever the little person was inside the R2-D2? I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Ken Baker. <laughs> Man, unbelievable. I, I actually, wasn't Anthony Daniels. <laughs> uh, I actually, oh, going back to the AT-ATs, had a different issue with those vehicles, which was that uh, it seems incredibly easy to tip those things over. Yeah, it doesn't also seem very logical to have giant walking robots in snow. I yeah, mean, like I kind of get it. They, to me, seem a little bit more viable than the like the sand people like big moving tank thing just because with four legs it can at least balance itself a little bit and i mean i get the tactical thing like it's essentially like a very slow moving attack helicopter or like a10 warthog like it just can zoom in and just destroy a single location but uh, it seems really dumb that in a a universe where uh, tractor cannons and like planet destroying lasers are a thing that you can trip up this like big bad weapon with a tow cable and just trip it. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to waste any ammo in that case. Except for Luke who decided to climb up an ATAT and throw a grenade inside, you know, Uh, a little bit too much battlefield before uh, deploying there. (laughs) Um, What was your uh, favorite scene of the movie? The best one. And that's a tough one in this movie just because there's so many. Um, I think probably the Luke and Vader scene at the end um, when he goes to Cloud City, sneaks in, he's in the cryo, in the carbonite freezing chamber, 
and Vader shows up. He's backlit. There's, it's very ominous. It's a pretty decent lightsaber duel. Luke shows his stuff. Um, Vader has some good lines. It's just a really good scene. The colors are really good. And um, I think of Summer in here that the score in the background is pretty good too. So I, overall, that's probably my favorite scene. Not a lot of sunsets in this one. How about you? Um, yeah, definitely not a lot of sunsets if you're um, if you're into that sort of thing. But I think my favorite scene um, it's probably just the the never tell me the odd scene when Hans flying that Millennium Falcon through the asteroid field. Uh, it just felt like just the quintessential moment of Star Wars, where it's just a, a chase scene. You have the the score set just right to make you feel like you're on this adventure with them. Um, there's, this isn't spoilery, but there's a little bit of a part in the last Jedi. That's kind of like that. And it brings you with the score in that scene. It brings you all the way back to this uh, portion. And I don't know. I, I just always enjoy that scene. And um, you really felt like you finally got to see what Han could actually do as a captain, well, and Chewie too. Got to give props to my boy Chewie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just like that scene. I thought it was yeah, really good. That's very understandable. Um, I noted that C-3PO is super into giving the odds, like in a lot of scenarios in this movie. Like it wasn't just that one, but there was like evading a Star Destroyer. You have a one in a thousand chance. Uh, and there's one other one, but I can't quite remember it. He's super oh, into yeah. the odds. I think that's part of the reason I like this scene as well, because Han Solo is just like, he would be me in that situation. Like C-3PO, shut the fuck up. Like you are super annoying. And I know, I know Quinn's a C-3PO stan. Shout out to Quinn, but oh man, he drives me nuts. I can't stand it. He like Leia does the right thing and powers him down in the scene. Yeah. That's what everyone would have done. I actually can't believe Quinn's a C-3PO homer. I'm not sure why. I, I think it's just for that um, that line that he has about the oh cybernetic my. organisms or some something like that, basically referring to Darth Vader as part man, part machine, foreshadowing. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I think Quinn just likes to go against the grain. Power rankings. Quinn is going down. <laughs> Trending uh, downward, Quinny. Sorry. Well, while we're on that, um, on your favorite scene, why don't we just dive into the crux of Empire and basically what this movie is most remembered for, and that's the Vader father reveal. Unbelievable. Like, it still hits. That's insane to me. Like, I knew the plot twist, and it still is just, it's not shocking, obviously, but it, the emotional resonance still is there. Yeah, I mean, we talked actually in the last pod about George Lucas not knowing whether or not Vader was going to be the father right away in the first one. Um, and I found a little bit more evidence to support our claim here. Uh, where do I have that written down? Oh, in the original script, the first version of it, they did not have Vader as the father in the original script. So the first iteration of this, it actually had somebody named... Uh, Nellith Skywalker, who was the actual father, and he was going to show up as like a force ghost to provide I don't know, assistance to Luke in some way. But that was written in the first script, so 
something must have flipped or maybe the original the person that wrote the original screenplay just didn't know and lucas was like oh yeah by the way i forgot to tell you this is supposed to happen um, yeah they made the right call what was that name nellith yeah nellith n-e-l-l-i-t-h yeah f that nell f that that is a terrible Nail. name and this is i think maybe the most I might want to say the most impactful plot twist culturally in any movie ever. Like it's unbelievable. I, I had read that um, read or heard at some point that no one really knew about that plot twist except for uh, Mark Hamill, James Earl Jones, um, George Lucas, obviously and the set people. And they were to keep it a secret until the movie air date. But like everyone else had, like a different script where it just had him chopping off Luke's hand and there's no other dialogue. So it was truly like a huge plot twist when this movie first came out. Yeah. Lucas was so worried about leaks from this. He actually had David Prost, the guy in the star or in the star Wars, in the Darth Vader costume say, no, Obi-Wan killed your father when they were filming the scene. And he actually dubbed it over later with James Earl Jones saying, um, no, I am your father. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even even James Earl Jones thought uh, George Lucas was just flat out lying to him. <laughs> and he yeah. didn't think it was true. So that incredible. Yeah, which makes the, when you think about it, the anguish and, I mean, this kind of irritates me, the the Mark Hamill performance during this portion when he's screaming no makes it a little bit more awkwardly to think that Luke would have that sort of reaction to hearing that Obi-Wan killed his father. I, I feel Maybe. like, I, okay, so firstly, I feel like um, George Lucas is a big liar generally, but I, <laughs> I think that um, I think that Mark Hamill probably was in on the secret and uh, reacted lustily. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But I have no evidence to back that up. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit earlier in the same like sequence, the same fight scene where after um, after that showdown in the carbonite chamber, Luke sort of he like knocks Vader off the platform and then goes chasing him, and then they kind of show off, or I'm sorry, show off. They have a like a mini showdown in that room. Like they clash with lightsabers, and Vader uses the Force to like chuck shit at Luke's head. <laughs> And he, takes a, oh, yeah. he takes a pretty big hit there, and I think he might be in concussion protocol. That was that was in the unintentional comedy bit because, first of all, not selling that he's getting hit with heavy objects very well at this point here. But I, I thought it was pretty hilarious how Vader just stops and just force throws large objects at Luke. <laughs> it was great, and also like that is part of the power of like the force and i guess we saw that a little bit earlier on dagobah with luke like doing a handstand and like trying to move shit at the same time like it's just sort of like a multitask thing i guess that's how yoda is trying to train him so it's i guess poetically just that vader kind of took him down the same way but at the same time that was pretty goofy he's uh should be on the lookout for cte after that one yeah, for the most part, in A New Hope, to this point, people have seen the Force as maybe something that was a little bit of a more like ESP in a way, because they've seen Darth Vader choke uh, captains on the ship, and Luke just 
quote unquote using the force to uh, better target the little the hole that's the size of a swamp rat or whatever the hell uh, to blow up the Death Star. Womp rat. Womp rat. Yeah, womp rat. So not a swamp rat, you cretin. Come on. <laughs> oh man, uncultured. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's basically what we've seen of the four so far. But now we actually see something a little bit more physical, where Darth Vader is using the force to block Han Solo's um, blaster and you know taking that gun out of his hand, using the force and throwing these objects around, and Luke using his force powers to levitate rocks and yoda using his force powers to levitate a whole damn ship it's it's madness this is the force in full strength here yeah i i don't think the force has really been on display like this in any other well certainly not any of these other movies um in the original trilogy i guess they would have been in the in the prequel trilogy just to kind of show that the force i don't know i think that they played up the force a little bit more in the prequels and in these it was not necessarily accepted as being like this really powerful thing that the jedi could use and the time between um return of the jedi and phantom menace sort of allowed the force to be this this thing where people are like oh you can literally do anything you can convince this beast that's attacking you in this giant coliseum to obey you anakin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and the the thing about the Force, too, is that in these initial films, and this is part of what separates them from the prequels and what people got a little bit upset about, is going back to the midichlorian count. In the prequels, the Force was something you used if you just had off-the-charts midichlorian uh, stats, numbers, what That's have what you. what we call uh, intangibles. <laughs> Yeah, but in in these uh, in this trilogy, it's more of you know what if you are somebody that is strong with the force, and if you practice and you work hard at it, then you could do this sort of thing too. And I think they might have been leaning towards that direction a little bit with having Leia be able to sense where Luke is when he's hanging off that antenna in Bespin. And not necessarily utilizing any other sort of force powers, but the fact that she is slightly force sensitive. And at this point, we don't know that she's his sister. Um, I think at this point in the series, it made you believe a little bit more that she or that anyone rather has the chance or the ability to use the force rather than if you just have the right midichlorian intangibles. Yeah, I would agree with that general sentiment. Um, yeah, the first the first three episodes seem to be um, under the opinion that if you have like, if you're born with a certain midichlorian count, uh, the, the Jedi identify you early and send you off to Jedi boot camp and you become a Jedi. Whereas, yeah, as you said, this one, it's more of like uh, if you try really hard and are pure of heart in either direction, good or evil, you can be very strong with the force. Um, I did a little bit more of, uh, deep dive into how Leia found where Luke was. And I don't know if they ever made it really explicit. I, I know at one point in Empire that they said um, there is another, uh, and that they I had to have been referring to Leia, but I don't 
I think that Luke reached out to her and because she was slightly force sensitive, she could like understand that he was calling her is very odd. That entire getaway scene was a little bit, um, a little bit nebulous for me, but it, it made for a very good ending to the movie. Yeah. You can definitely just, you get this sort of connection. I don't understand that portion where Yoda is telling ghost Obi-Wan that, there is another, and uh, we obviously infer that he's talking about Leia just based on what happens in Return yeah. of the Jedi. But yeah, at this we, point, we know that he's talking about Leia because we have watched all the movies. Yeah, but at the same time, too, it's they don't like address that ever again. Like Leia doesn't turn into the focal point at any time. She's still kind of just you know, second fiddle to Luke. And this is just evidently Luke's story when, you know, why even drop that little tidbit in there unless they're just foreshadowing that she's actually his sister. And, and that's they the other thing. That, yeah. That's what that, that's what this brought me back to as well was um, when did they decide she was his sister? But, and that's real, really important no. to me in this movie, particularly given the amount of smooching on the lips that they do. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I hope to God they just kind of decided, like, midway. Was it different in the 80s? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. No idea. I, I feel like, I, I just hope that midway through the movie, they're just like, Vader's the father, but also, what if we did this for the third movie also? Let's drop some hints in there. Here we go. Yeah, I had read that Luke was supposed to meet like a long lost twin in an a theoretical episodes nine, ten, or I'm sorry, ten, eleven, twelve. They're supposed to be um I guess there's supposed to be twelve movies in George Lucas's original vision. Excuse me. In George Lucas's original vision. And uh they ended up cutting three of them, or he just scrapped three of them. Um and I guess in the other three scrapped ones, he would have been finding like a long lost twin or brother that isn't Leia, but who would have been the other one with the force. Ah, uh, well, didn't he essentially just want to wait until technology caught up and he was able to do some of the things he obviously was able to do in the prequel trilogy? Yeah, I have no idea. I think that he gets a lot of <laughs> yeah, he gets a lot of credit for these movies. I think a lot of it is undeserved. Like obviously he made these movies and they're very good and we're doing a podcast on them and they're very culturally impactful and have made a butt ton of money. So they he's obviously done something right. But I think he gets a lot more creative credit for coming up with these crazy deep fan theories that people just come up with when they're super stoned uh, that he just didn't envision, but end up working better for his universe than what he yeah, actually. It's, it, that is just good for straight up world building is that you're able to just kind of come up with these own creative ideas with like, you know, fan fiction. You see this in other uh, sci-fi series as well. But with that being said, this is critically considered the, the top two, top three, if not the best of the Star Wars films. And it's not directed by George Lucas. He 
purposely did not want to take on the responsibility of directing because the last one had caused such a strain on him, like his physical health and his marriage um, struggled because of it too. So Irvin Kirshner took over the filming and I don't know. I feel like that's got to say something uh, if this guy took over filming most of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I just found a picture of Irvin Kirshner, and he looks exactly as you think that an Irvin Kirshner would look. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Irvin Kirshner. He looks like, um, uh, what's the character's name from Breaking Bad? Um, Mike, Mike, Mike Herman Trout. Yeah, he, he, he looks like that guy, definitely. Um, credits to his name. Uh, Never Say Never Again, good old Sean Connery, James Bond flick. Oh, and RoboCop 2. After that, he just kind of phones it in. But, yeah. (laughs) The Last Temptation of Christ? Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Yeah, Um, it sounds pretty religious to me. But anyhow, let's talk about one of the marquee characters of this film somehow. Uh, Boba Fett. What, what's the deal here? Uh, he's a Mandalorian bounty hunter. I mean, I can go into deep dive details uh, from well, what I know, but from just what's in the film, he just appears to be a very cunning bounty hunter uh, with a very deep voice for some reason. Yeah, he has five lines in the entire movie, and I... Th- I think this is just an instance of a character being built up through alternate formats and other canon. Just, I don't know, maybe I, he looks cool. That's He's got that going for him. Yeah, 1,000%. I'm on board with this. I think that um, he must have had a very high-selling like action figure or something. Um, there was enough time between this movie and the next one that I'm sure when it was rush the people built up boba fett in their mind but he dies immediately in the next one and he <laughs> like he doesn't really do Good that save. much in this one other than i mean he he gets han at the end i guess but it wasn't really his doing it was darth vader who did all the hard work yeah technically he didn't really even catch them I, he follows them out when they latch the Millennium Falcon onto that Imperial Destroyer and he follows them when they release themselves through the garbage and they I float have questions away. about that as well. Like, how would he have figured that out? That's bullshit. I don't know. But at the same time, it's like all he does is maybe track them to the Cloud City. But they, Lando says that the Emperor showed up before they arrived. So what did he do, technically? <sighs> He sold a lot of merchandise. <laughs> True. Fun fact about the toy and the merchandise. They originally were going to have a Boba Fett toy with a little rocket that shoots off of his jetpack, but a little kid choked on a toy that was very similar to that, like the little rocket in there, so they had to make it stationary. That God. I know. It doesn't really mean anything, but in terms of Star Wars, the toys and the merchandise is huge. It's a really good metaphor for Boba Fett, though. <laughs> Just getting handicapped in the film when he could yeah. have been so much cooler. Um, he, uh, I think in one of the prequels that Django shoots his rocket at Obi-Wan. Um, 
Yeah, he does on Camino, uh, right? Yeah, on Camino. Good call. Good yeah. call remembering the planet name. Before he gets his head cut off. Um, <laughs> the, this kind of brings me to my next point, though. This is going to be a smooth transition that I'm calling out. Um, Boba Fett, eventually, in later films, he gets his voice gets dubbed over by the uh, the Jango Fett dude because uh, technically he's a clone so he he gets dubbed over so if you're listening or watching later versions of empire you hear that voice instead of the the og guy but i i wanted to ask you about all the redubs and the re-editing of these movies because this is where it really comes to a head uh they don't do it so much in a new hope but it really comes in here um with boba fett I will talk about this in Return of the Jedi. Uh, Hayden Christensen gets superimposed into the ending sequence there. Darth Vader, uh, David Prost is not even the guy that voices him. It's the legendary and incomparable James Earl Jones, but David Prost didn't know he was going to get dubbed over. And then Palpatine, they substituted his voice as well. And I think they re they resuperimpose the Ian McDiarmid into the into this version of Empire because he only shows up in like a cameo role as a hologram. But I don't I don't know how do you feel about all these these changes? I know George Lucas has you know the creative right to this is his creation, but at the same time, do you feel bad for the actors? Um, I don't feel bad for the actors. I actually have. Um... I had pirated the original version at some point, so I don't really know what the remasters are. I'm looking at a list of them now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I appreciate the attempt at perfectionism, but at the same time, once you release uh, an artistic work like a film, for instance, I think you kind of have to let it stand, especially when it's as well-received as this one. I, I don't know if you needed to make that many changes. Yeah, I think, especially with Return of the Jedi, when they remastered that one, a lot of people were like, what the fuck, why is Hayden Christensen just, like, here at the ending as a Force ghost? Like, it was a little bit odd, especially the way we, you still get to see uh, Darth Vader towards the end of that movie and what he turned into. So people were like, why doesn't he look a little bit closer to that? Like, he is obviously older. Um I don't know. I feel I feel for the actors a little bit. If you at one point were a part of the largest movie franchise in history and you just got cut out and replaced, then I don't know. I, I feel bad for you. I, I feel for them. Yeah, I don't feel that bad because these guys and gals are all still stinking rich from all of these movies. So, you know. Who knows? Who knows if they actually got paid as handsomely as they should have for this. Uh, I had read that, um, where's my mouse, uh, that George Lucas had made a lot of this with his own money, and uh, because it made, it was a significant risk, but it did make, um, I believe the scientific term is a, a buttload of money, and he ended up giving <laughs> out f- uh, five-ish million in bonuses, which is... Uh, plenty in 19 whatever money 19 yeah. whatever 
unprecedented in Hollywood at the time. He financed this movie with his own money from what he made on the first Star Wars and a bank loan. And within like the first three months of this film's release, he was able to uh, get all of his money back and pay off the loan. So in order to avoid sharing creative rights. So, I mean, he was going for bank to start with, which I, was how he was able to finance these, these bonuses. So good on him. Yeah. I mean, if you know, you've got it, you might as well just take it all. Why split the profits with, you know, a, a production company that's going to want too much say on your masterpiece. Yeah, for sure. 1000%. Um, should we get into some of this internet deep dive? These fun facts? I love fun and I love facts. Let's do this. So, um, here's, here's a little fun fact. When Mark Hamill was, he was struggling a little bit with the Dagobah scenes because he had to obviously act with a puppet and um, Frank Oz, who voiced Yoda, also voiced Miss Piggy. So he he brought in the voice or the Miss Piggy puppet to make our Mark Hamill laugh a little bit on set. <laughs> Ooh, moi. That doesn't. Sound I think great. that's funny. I, this also gives us a good chance to talk about the the caricature and just huh, Yoda needs to. I don't know. I, I don't like Yoda in this. He, he tones it down, like, after Luke figures out who he is. But before that, he's just, like, this eccentric green little alien. And I'm like, okay. That's pretty much what I have as well. Um, I'm of two minds on this. So Yoda's legit just a crazy dude immediately. Um, just, like, manic, uh, speaking in riddles, being silly generally. And I did like Yoda in the prequels better, although I think I like the puppet better than CGI for some reason. It just felt, I don't know, realer for some, it's, I don't know. It's very odd, but um, yeah, I, I like the way that Yoda was well, like wise in the prequels, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically the same thing as having like a CGI chewy compared to somebody that's actually physically there. And it, it makes for the actors, it's a little bit easier, I'm guessing, to, to act with. And I don't know, he, maybe Mark Hamill was struggling a little bit. He had to get the Miss Piggy in there. So, Yeah, I saw uh, on Dagobah, they did like 16 takes of him bumping his head on the, on the roof of Yoda's hut because they just needed him to hit his head 16 times. That <laughs> probably just a cruel joke. Um, anyway, Alex... Alec Guinness, who played the great Obi-Wan, uh, filmed his scenes in one day. So he went to work from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. and made millions of dollars. And I am jealous of that, but also, come on, man. You, you can do more than that. <laughs> he could do more than that, but why would you? Work smart, not hard. That yeah, he's winning. Uh, he set the Alec Guinness Book of World Records for uh, dollars per hour. He might be my MVP. So let's keep yeah. an eye on that one. How, how uh, many scenes was he actually in? I mean, he showed up on Dagobah, and was was there a voiceover at some point? I don't know. I I don't think so. 
Yeah. I mean, good for him for showing. I, I wonder how many hours total he worked. Oh, I, I said that 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. I mean, was it one day? Yeah, one day. I'm not sure if oh he took a Oh, my God. Lunch, I thought but... maybe you meant like a, a week or something, like with re, reshoots and stuff. One no, day. No. He went in one day, and I'm pretty sure he just shot all these scenes in his native London anyway and at the studio there because that's where they filmed a lot of this. Um... Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's immediately MVP. That's incredible. Mind blown. Um, the... Tauntaun, the gut scene, you know, when Han said he thought they smelled bad on the outside, uh, that can be seen as an homage to Hugh Glass. So that is, for those of you that are history buffs, the uh, frontiersmen that our good friend Leo DiCaprio depicts in The Revenant. So I, I don't know if that's directly tied or involved, but, you know, parallels i don't know yeah i definitely noticed that when i watched um the revenant i mean it's such a very clear it, i don't know if it's a reference to empire or just that's a thing that happened more frequently than anyone wants to talk about but yeah i mean very both scenes remind me of the other movie yeah, well, as legend goes, Hugh Glass did that with, like, a horse or something. But since Star Wars does take place in a galaxy long long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, maybe Hugh Glass got that from Han Solo. You never know. It's possible. Um, I already went over Boba Fett has only five lines. Um, want to talk about my homeboy, Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote extensively... For Empire, he came in as Mr. Script Doctor, and eventually his final project product was largely used. Um, this is the same guy that is going to go on in a year or so later to pen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he also gets brought back for Return of the Jedi. Pretty good three-movie stint there. Yeah, no kidding. That's That's really good. Um, he also more recently came back and did The Force Awakens. So that's probably where you get a lot of the, I mean, some people say The Force Awakens is a little bit derivative of A New Hope, but you do get a lot of good references. Obviously, you, you bring in a Star Wars vet like Kasdan in to help write the script. That's what you'll get. And you'll also be on the Solo, A Star Wars Story. I was going to say that. Script. Which, I mean, you said it yourself before. We get a good Han Solo in this movie, and I think Harrison Ford's really going for it. So I think hopefully Lawrence Kasdan with the Solo movie, he really gets Han's voice, even if I Alden Einrich, what's his name? What? The, the guy that's supposed to play Han Solo, the young Han Solo. Oh, uh, I actually was going to ask if that's been cast yet. Um, I don't know oh, who yeah. that is. Alden Ehrenreich. All Ehrenreich. Alden. Oh, you're right. Ehrenreich. A L D E N space E H R E N R E I C H. I don't know. All I know is Woody Harrelson's in that movie, and Donald Glover's playing my man Lando. So. I, I'm excited to see that. I hope that Lando is a very, very major character in that movie because we cannot have enough Donald Glover. 
Yeah, always. And also should have had a little bit more Lando Calrissian in this movie. Uh, this is our first little interaction with the the leader of this mining city. What do you think of introducing finally a black guy? <laughs> yeah, I, I was in. I thought it was a little, I don't know. I thought it was weird that he was like instantly just like, the smoothest guy and it seemed like they're writing the script differently for him than they were for any other character but at the same time he also had like some of the best lines and was like exuding just being super cool so i i was in billy d williams is like one of the coolest people of all time um mr billy d williams cooler than the other side of the pillow what do we have here <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I guess we could just be thankful that they didn't throw in like a, a jive turkey or just like a really stereotypical black dialogue in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, Lando was dope. Um, I liked his character arc. I liked that they kind of showed that he had just a, either a choice between cooperating with Darth Vader or nothing. Like there was not really another choice. Yeah, and he sort of did get to be a hero at the end, and then in the next movie, he does get to redeem himself a little bit, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah, he's unquestionably a hero in the next one. Um, that's I don't really have anything for casting. I know Billy D tried out for the Harrison Ford part. I think that's what ultimately led him to getting the Lando uh, role. But other than that, you don't really see a whole lot of character changes. Uh, you get the addition of Yoda, who, I guess if you want to be technical about it, George Lucas wanted his friend Jim Henson of the Muppets to do the voice for Yoda, but that's when Jim Henson recommended Frank Oz, who obviously does Miss Piggy. And That seems like a weird recommendation, but, you know, it yeah. worked out. It worked out. I mean, you can name Frank Oz, but can you name another famous puppeteer? Uh, Jeff Dunham. <laughs> okay, <laughs> another non-racist puppeteer. <laughs> I got nothing. Then. Um, oh, speaking of race, here's a question for you: Is the Empire racist? Probably, right? Well, because I noticed in this when I rewatched it that I didn't really pick up on before. Uh, there only appears to be humans on their ships in a galaxy that is crawling with different beings. We see them in cantinas, and we see them as bounty hunters, to which one of the captains or the admiral, they switch admiral like three times in this film, they refer to the bounty hunters as scum. And I'm like, oh my god, the Empire's racist. Maybe. Um, I could go along with racist because there are nothing but humans on ships, but I think they might have referred to bounty hunters as scum just because they're criminals. I mean, even the the, the human ones. They did at least hire... Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, they did at least hire the one lizard-looking bounty hunter, but they did call him scum, so I don't know. I mean, the rebellion side has aliens. Admiral Akbar, 
Uh, that other guy with the weird gills on his face. Porkins. Uh, he, <laughs> he's just a fat human. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it makes me wonder if that's on purpose, though, that it showed that the Empire was more inclusive of other races. Yeah. Um, anyway, we already went over best line, didn't we? No? We did best scene. Best scene, I do have a different best line. Yeah, let's do best line. Do you want to go first, or should I? Oh, I'll, I'll go first. Mine came earlier in the film. Um, this was, of course, our, our boy Harrison Ford, an interaction with random rebel. Um, Ford's about to go and rescue Luke. Uh, the rebel person tells him, your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Han Solo, then I'll see you in hell. <laughs> Unnecessarily just bold, dude. He just lays into this rebellion guy who's just trying to help him out a little bit. And he's like, well, then I'll see you in hell, bitch. I bumped uh, on that a little bit. I was like, he's just offering <laughs> advice. You don't know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, that made me chuckle because he says it so aggressively. Best line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Um, my best line is um, Leia telling Han, I love you, and him going, I know. That's just yes, badass. Just one of the greatest lines in Star Wars. Oh, if not absolutely. cinema. I, I'm, I'm all on board for Han Solo. Yeah, so I did find at this, I mean, first of all, it's, it's a power move. Like, 100% a power move. But also, there... There's some talk about this being ad-libbed um, I'd heard by Harrison was. Ford. But I also found this was kind of a reference to an earlier film. Uh, the name of the film escapes me, but they also changed the line from something like, don't worry, Leia, I'll be back. Something like that, but they, they obviously cut that out because they didn't know if Harrison Ford was going to come back, so they just changed it to I know. Yeah, I just love that line. I had heard that it was ad-libbed, which would make it just incredible, but I, I could also believe that it's not. I'm not totally sold. It's so perfect that it's hard to believe it was ad-libbed. Yeah, either either story could be true, but I, I'm with you there. I, I really hope Harrison Ford ad-libbed that because that would definitely fit with his aesthetic perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to be a bigger fan, but I mean, if I found confirmation of that just being an on-the-spot decision, he's goat status. Jimmy yeah. Smith. Jimmy Smith, <laughs> what up? Uh, we were talking, um, I was talking with some of my friends from high school today, and we were talking about the our favorite vehicles in the Star Wars universe, and I'm just like, Jimmy Smith's is convertible in episode three, hands down. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot. Uh, I, okay, so all of the Amidala ships are the best, but Jimmy Smith's riding around in that drop top is pretty dope. Oh, it's just a red cruiser. It's it's awesome. It's gangster. Yeah, he looks like he he looks like he's a drug dealer on you know Miami Beach with that convertible, but Sl- slinging spice. <laughs> slang in that spice um so let's move on to the 
it's hard to tell because this one actually has limited characters, but do you have a nominee for the Ike Barinholtz underutilized award? Um, I guess I would say underutilized might be probably Lando. I mean, he, on a per line basis, he's like the smoothest, coolest character next to Han in this movie who is utilized enormously. So it's hard to say that he's under. So I guess I would say Lando. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's another character you could say. Oh, I'm going with, what's that? Although if you have another suggestion, I'm very open to it. I'm going with Boba Fett. I, yeah. I thought this was a pretty good chance because you, I mean, you have Sidious who's kind of just in the background still at this point. He only gets the cameo in this one. You have Darth Vader as the big bad, but I, I feel like every good movie has a, a solid number two when it comes to the the bad guys and the villains and these admirals that keep on getting killed off one after another just Boba Fett man I mean he was obviously a big merchandise seller otherwise they wouldn't have kept bringing him back and it wouldn't be rumored to have this Boba Fett movie that might come out and yeah I'm all about that bounty hunter yeah I mean five lines in the whole movie could definitely be utilized more I just didn't know how compelling he was in terms of what he actually had to do yeah, I mean, we talked about that earlier, too, with, like, what did he actually contribute to the movie yeah. and the ultimate plot line besides stand there and look cool in a helmet um, and collect his bounty on Han Solo. So uh, if there is one, that's what I'm going with. It's one of those two dudes. Yeah. Um, MVP, who was the most valuable character in this movie who was the one just collecting that triple double who threw the clutch touchdown at the end of the game who you got uh i probably have to go with luke in this one i mean han is is crushing it actually no screw that that's it's leia leia's the number one she's there the entire movie she doesn't dip out and hang out at dagobah She's taking care of business. She's staying on Hoth until the last possible second. She saves Luke at the end. So Leia, Leia's number one. I was going to say some. because because she turned off C three PO. Like yeah, also that. <laughs> she had the the good sense to kiss Han Solo on the mouth. So good for her. You know what she is. She's winning in this movie. She gets a kiss from Luke. She gets a kiss from Han. She gets to turn off C-3PO. She professes her love to Han Solo, and he clearly loves her back. She is, she is winning in The Empire Strikes Back. Turning on boys and turning off droids. <laughs> oh, okay, my MVP... I chose Leia in the first movie because I thought she was just badass and gangster. But I'm going to turn my attention to her counterpart in Han Solo for this movie. Solely because he is... He gets to he gets to show all of his true assets and abilities. He's got the smart mouth. He's captaining and piloting the Millennium Falcon like a badass. 
Uh, he gets the most gangster line of the movie by telling Leia that he knows that she loves him. And just power moves all day for Han Solo. Harrison Ford, MVP. Lock it up. Yeah, it's hard to argue with ever giving that award to Harrison. So good on you. Yeah, I was going to go with, I was leaning towards Lando and Billy D. Williams for breaking the white barrier and getting in on this franchise. But uh, got to give credit where it's due, man. Han Solo. Yeah, one, uh, yeah, for sure. I get that. <laughs> it's going to make a joke about Porkins breaking the fat barrier. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Porkins. He didn't survive the first movie, though. <laughs> so, heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he probably had a heart attack before his ship blew up. Oh, R.I.P. Porkins. Should probably do a, should do a deep dive on Porkins. <laughs> We need a pork and solo movie. Just get that backstory going. <laughs> this is getting out of control. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, any last thoughts on the movie? Rip Parkins, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, this, this is uh, definitely my favorite Star Wars movie. And it hit me again just watching it. Just It, it feels good to watch. The last scene... Uh, when they're aboard the uh, hospital ship going off into the distance with the galaxy in the background, Chewie and Han off to do Chewie and Han stuff, talking to Jabba. I mean, sets up the next movie. And, I mean, they knew this was going to be a cliffhanger ending with a sequel after this. You um, mean Chewie and Lando? Oh, yeah. Duh. Thank you. Yeah. I, Han was doing other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like being frozen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall, I think this is just a fantastic movie it's very it's objectively a good movie it might be one of the best sequels of all time like godfather 2 dark knight uh this two towers if you're into lord of the rings uh, hell yeah yeah terminator 2 maybe maybe spider-man 2 there's not a ton of movies that can stand up to empire as like saying they're a a standalone sequel that's like one of the best movies. So I, I'm a huge fan. I'm in. Yeah, usually when you get, you know, a blockbuster sequel, it's all about just trying to outdo the first one. And usually what that means for a lot of filmmakers is a, we got to be bigger and more explosions and faster and all, all that other stuff. But this one actually they dial it back in, in a weird way. They're not, you know, blowing up some giant space station that looks like a a moon. They, they dial it back. They build up the characters more. Um, They have all the, the pieces set in place and it sets them up pretty smoothly for the third movie, which essentially at this point, they can go in any direction they want. You know, it's kind of a clean slate, I mean, obviously, they don't know if Harrison Ford is going to come back to the film, but they didn't really paint themselves into a corner with the narrative, and it could really go any direction. I mean, they can continue fighting the Death Star, or like, which is obviously what they chose to essentially rebuild that, or they could have just set the war somewhere else. Um, 
which I mean, that's hard for uh, a series to do and a trilogy to do, but they, they handle it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, they nailed this movie. They made it, they made people fall further in love with a universe or I guess a galaxy in this case uh, that they already liked from the first movie and uh, kudos. I mean, it, I think this movie more than the first one is what caused star Wars to be what it is today. Yeah. I imagine you're definitely leaving the theater in 1980 and you're very excited for not only the, the third installment, but for seeing this movie again, like this probably definitely had a lot more repetitive views. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would imagine that this one is kind of what kept people just rewatching and rewatching and saying that star Wars is their favorite franchise enough to get the prequel trilogy actually made, even though it probably was eventually going to get done. I think it happened sooner because people like, this movie specifically so much yeah and even leading up to the prequel trilogy you had remasters and re-releases of the films you had them getting limited times back in theaters um and going to the the movie theater now to catch this new trilogy it really i mean i feel like when you hear the star wars uh the south Jesus, <laughs> when you hear the Star Wars score, that OG John Williams sound start up in the movie theater after the long ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then that screen roll starts going, that's just straight up movie theater nirvana, basically. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that we got to this one. This is, I think, the most positive, glowing review we're going to get for a Star Wars movie, and rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, should we go watch Return of the Jedi now? <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> 1122 right. Central Time. Uh, I think I can get it done and get to work on time. <laughs> any any last thoughts? Uh, again, Rip Porkins. <laughs> R.I.P. Porkins. Welcome to the Star Wars universe, Lando. I can't wait to see you again um, in the vein of Donald Glover. Uh, let's get to the last, the last Jedi, The Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi. We still have three movies to go, but I think we should get them done for the holiday break. We are five-eighths of the way there, which is definitely over the halfway point. Yeah, I'll never get tired of watching Star Wars, so, so we can continue to stretch. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> um, any any last thoughts or anything you want to plug? Uh, same same as usual. Follow me on Raj Podge on Twitter, R O G underscore P O D G E, uh, and and hit me up if you have any hot Star Wars takes. Anything hotter than Mustafar? Less hot than Tatooine. Way less hot than, or less cold than Hoth. I don't know. Yeah. Anything warmer than Hoth, I will respond to probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, as per usual, you can catch me on the Twitters at Jordan underscore Smith. Um, my NFL writing is going to probably start to taper off since the NFL season is uh, winding down ever so slightly. Um, look for my 
little takey review on the last Jedi um, medium.com slash defined print. You can go find that piece. there. probably going to be due up by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, yeah. We want to thank you guys for uh, sticking with us here while we go through the star Wars adventure. We're going to pop these last three movies out and we hope you join us for the ride. And as always, may the force be with you. Now wake up today.